Hi, thanks for listening to the Biz versus Dev podcast, where we'll talk about business, development, and business development. I'm James Robert, and this is my co-host, Mick Bozen. I think you're going to like what you hear. I've been looking for your ass. You've been absentee. Hello and welcome to the Biz vs. Dev podcast, episode 19. Almost, 19. At, almost at season 3. Pretty soon the podcast will be more episodes than how old we are. <laughs> James forgot his age today. James always forgets his age because James doesn't consider what his age is. I have to subtract from the current year. When did that start? When did that start? Mm-hmm. I think 22 or 23, probably. Once I was old enough to drink, the rest of the years were unimportant. <laughs> also there's a much bigger age like when you're in high school you kind of you know like you're when you're in elementary school the difference between what a person who's a year younger than you and how old you are is like very noticeable and by the time like even in high school you kind of know like that person's a senior that person's a junior whatever so like you're that's so that's that freaky freshman <laughs> uh what that's that freaky freshman who's not Oh, it looks like it's interesting. Got it, yeah. Uh, and so you're much more intensely aware of your age. And then, you know, from 19 through 21, you're counting down the years until you can finally walk into a bar. Without having your ID taken away from you? Your fake uh, ID? Yeah, I actually never had a fake ID. Neither did I. Apparently, most people have in New York City. I guess it's a rite of passage. You Every, everyone that I know that had a fake ID in high school had to come into New York City to get one. Like, there's just not all that many spots that you can just go and get a fake ID out on Long Island. There's more of a demand to do in the city. Sure, and there's a lot more, I don't know... Reason for it. Place, yeah, yeah, since it's so dense, you can kind of just have it in the back of some shady shop, and all the shops are much more close together, so you don't have to, like... I, I had a friend who got a fake ID near Times Square, and I was, you know, when he was looking through it, looking through, you know, which, which state he wants... Um, <laughs> get, get all these options. He, you know, we saw faces. We thought, you know, we never thought to consider. We never considered. Oh, these are some. Fa- these are just faces. And these are clearly people. And then we came back for it because he, he wanted to bring his friend. And I tagged along, and we realized that the demo for Boston, Massachusetts rather, was his face. His own face. Yeah, because by the time they, I guess maybe they lost the old Massachusetts one, we got. So they just made a fake one with his face in it because mm-hmm. they had a picture laying around. Mm-hmm. That's funny. His fake name. So, is do fake. they have like real ID making machines? Do they like go to the like a DMV and wait for them to throw out a machine and like steal it? No, I'm like sure, I'm sure they learn. They, they have a card a card printer and they have stickers and they have copies of those stickers where at least this imitation authentic. The ones I've seen are very very crappy. Oh, I mean, look, I assume somebody must be using the actual real machines that the state uses. I mean, they are just machines, right? You. Surely some company makes those machines and you could steal it from their warehouse or something. Wherever those machines come from, another one could be gotten from there. Go dig it up in the forest of ID machines. Interesting story in terms of um, technology hogging and, and resources, resource hogging. Uh, and, well, not hard, hoarding, not hogging. Uh, a lot of data breaches occur because organizations don't throw away their old material, their, their old equipment. Ah, uh, Yes. That's true. And uh, so I've heard this really interesting story. I think it was Switzerland or Austria. They had uh, way back, uh, maybe like 30 years ago, 40 years ago. No, it was like 30. It was like the 80s during the AIDS epidemic. They had made a list of all of the homosexuals in the country. And now this is a big political problem because no one wants to like, it hasn't been destroyed and kind of no one really knows where it is. No one really wants to find it because no one wants, like, destroying government records is a really hard thing to do because you have to get someone, you have to get everyone to agree that it should be disposed of. And on the other hand, it's like everyone in the country, all the populace thinks like they never should have collected it in the first place. So it's just like this thing that no politician wants to touch. And meanwhile, it exists somewhere, this giant registry of every gay person in the country. Where did you find out about that? Um... Probably in some article about the NSA, about how mm. one of the reasons why it's not a great idea to be collecting data and storing it perpetually mm-hmm. forever. 
would have thunk? I'm going to show you data collection. There's a little controversy with Facebook recently. Yep. Hold on, controversy. So that Facebook study um, with the 600 or 800,000 participants, yeah. where they checked to see how they can affect various people's emotions based on what, what they saw. Yeah, it was like 600,000. That was part of the, as it turns out, the part that was partly involved with um, that social unrest, the civil unrest study that, that the DOD was doing, as we mentioned earlier, and we'll link that in the show notes again, or at least in Article 2, where it discusses Facebook and the DOD yeah. study. So I'm debating which one is the best link. So I read, let's see, I read one in Atlantic, which I thought was a pretty good rundown. It was fair. A lot of the entire lot, story. Yeah. And um, the, the Facebook, all right, so let's just give a high-level overview. Do you want to do it, or do you want me to do it? All right, so... Um, Facebook did a study where they try... So this is one of the misconceptions, right off the bat. What you're going to hear in the media, or what you probably already heard in the media, is that Facebook is trying to make some users happier, see if they can, and some users sadder, see if they can. And what they actually did was test the effects of removing extremely positive posts randomly, like, but filtering out a subset of the positive posts from a user's feed. And then, also, with a separate set of users, removing some of the negative posts from that person's feed to see if it would alter whether the person posts positive or negative things themselves. And the whole idea here was to discover if, what, what did they call it, um, like, emotional contagion or something? Mm -hmm. Like, if, basically, if other people's emotions can rub off on you virtually, just via text exchange over Facebook in the way that they do when you're in person with the person with someone else. Like when you're in a room with a sad person and you're speaking with them, it actually makes you sadder. But they're trying to determine if this can happen over Facebook. And the answer seems to be kind of. I mean, like, so they got statistically significant results, but with 600,000 participants, it's not that hard to get statistical significance. And the results are very, very minor. Like extremely minor. Uh, there's a point you, you made, made just now that with 600,000 people, it's each to get statistically significant results. Does that mean that you think better if they had a smaller sample set? Because, I mean, I believe... No, 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 no. It means that you, with the bigger your sample size, the, the, the more fine-grained differences you can detect. Mm -hmm. It's like having a really big telescope. You can see a star that's really, really far away. Mm -hmm. But that's... That's like, but you don't have to worry about that star hitting us because it's really far away, <laughs> <laughs> right? And at the same time, like, so the difference was when they filtered out p positive posts from a person's feed, so they made it slightly less positive of a feed, the person posted on average something like one less positive word per thousand words. So out of a thousand words that they posted on Facebook, it was like one less on average, one less positive word in that thousand words. Which is like practically, I mean, that's a really small change. Mm -hmm. That's like you say the word great one last time per thousand words. <laughs> Maybe people should have more, more synonyms. Okay, well, so, also, in defense of Facebook. Because by and large, this is being characterized very negatively. And on the whole, I have to say, I think John Gruber made a really good point about this, which was, he decided on his podcast, so there's nothing we can really like to, but um, why is anyone surprised? This is Facebook. This is what Facebook does. Facebook does things like this all the time. Right, but it's not in a way where we've... Okay, so we've, we've allowed Facebook to tinker with our data for advertising purposes. Uh -huh. And we know that you know, advertisements are physiological exploits of our... Uh, sorry, are exploits of our physiological shortcomings. They track us, they figure out, how, they figure out where, in what way to tantalize us, which colors might work best at which times of day, mm -hmm. which of our friends work, how, what, what we, how we value ourselves, our friends' input, which friends specifically to, to link as the, the people, to highlight the people who enjoy this as well, or sponsored stories, or whatever they use back in the day. Right. But it's never been where they've out, where they've discovered outright, and I think this secret, the study wasn't supposed to be a secret. I think it was... No, they published it. Exactly. Facebook, re oh, so you can read the whole actual journal article, which they published mm -hmm. in a scientific journal. So it just maybe they had a whole disconnect that no, how dare they use people's data? To, how do they how dare they manipulate people's data without having given them consent prior? Although the point of the study is that you can give them consent prior, 
at least official awareness of what it is because you skew your sample set of who would participate and you might affect the results. Well, you don't have to necessarily tell people the specifics of the study, like most psychological studies. Right. They tell you all the details afterward, but they don't tell you all the details before. So they're, they're, But they do have to get you to agree to be in a study. Yes. <laughs> there is a enormous value because the amount of data that we have with Facebook users is unprecedented. You get, to see, you get a sample set that's far closer to N equals all mm -hmm. than you've ever had before for any kind of study. Unfortunately, inherently speaking, because it's Facebook, things are skewed in terms of what people would oh, post. Oh, what in the general. people are like. What the people are like. What the people post. The audience that's there. Oh, yeah. Well, there's culture on Facebook. There, yeah, there's a Facebook culture where you, you're not. You, if you post sad things, you're more likely to get defriended. So everything skews towards the. So that's another thing about the study. Their algorithm for determining what's a positive post and what's a negative post wasn't the greatest. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, let me think. It was based on just the, the words that the post contains. So in the Atlantic article, um, they pointed out that certain posts like that are actually negative would be categorized as positive because they contain the word great. Like, mm -hmm. not having a great day today would be categorized as positive. So for all we know, that maybe somebody who said not, the people who reduced the usage of the word great one time per thousand might actually be having a better day, not having a right. bad day. Yeah. So I actually have a theory about what the data actually means from mm -hmm. the study or what could posit because they published a paper with statistical significance of a correlation. Mm -hmm. You can't determine causation without multiple studies that all have correlations that coincide, right? I mean, there's, that's the whole discussion, but this particular correlation could be explained in multiple ways. And I think one of them is priming. Mm -hmm. Like the words that you've heard most recently, you're more likely to use. Right. And since it's such a small effect, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't read the entirety of their paper. But anyway, go ahead. I, I, there's there's a, a big point here in terms of when, when you have a study that crosses this threshold of what's public, what's private, what's used by government, what isn't. Facebook already has trust issues. And you have, I remember there's an Tech article. Yeah, that's why I think this is so bad of an idea for them to do. They're already walking on, on thin ice. And you have, you have things like poke and other Snapchat killer sling where it, things are not going to work because it's Facebook. Facebook is that, is that presumably necessary evil that we use as it's one thing that we use and has to accept itself that this is what's going to stay. And it's yet be, I've managed to stick with email and RSS <laughs> and not use Facebook. Yes. I mean, I have a Facebook account purely so that people who insist on sending me email through Facebook, like f email... Facebook is their replacement for email, and they don't use email, so I leave my Facebook account open. But I only log in to read their message. You didn't log in to read my invitation, though, to my kayaking. Event. Yes, I disabled notification alerts because too many freaking people were spamming me with, come look at my nightclub, or my band is playing, or whatever, so I turn those off. Damn. Well, I hope to see you Sunday. <laughs> Sorry. I, I should probably just unfriend those people. But it's so... Like... The reason I turned off the alerts instead of unfriending all the people is I did unfriend the people who were spamming me with event notifications for a while. And I was like, I'm tired of logging into Facebook just to unfriend people. I'm just going to turn off the damn emails. <laughs> <laughs> there is another element of here that really, I'm not sure how many people took to this, but it rubbed me the wrong way. What's that? Um, when Sheryl Sandberg's response, we didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. That's this kind of... It was such a cold and withdrawn, it's as if somebody didn't know their own power, or maybe it was insincere in general. But if it was, it's as if it, again, like a child doesn't know his own strength. Someone who might be too strong, someone who may have damaged someone. I didn't mean to, it reminded me of Of my Lenny. man? Yeah, I mean of Lenny. <laughs> so that was going. Yay. <laughs> um, well, so I think that statement, I mean, it is cold. And Facebook PR has got a lot of work to do mainly in hiring better people. But um, this it is somewhat defensible, her, her reaction, because they didn't actually know that reducing the positive posts in your feed would make you less happy. Well, which makes it even scary because they, they take this and they don't realize, and this is why I think it's more of a kid, they don't realize their own strength. They don't realize no, 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 wait. There's research why it, it might have had the opposite effect. There's this. There's also research that suggests that seeing other people being happy makes you less sad because you see that it's like it's like uh, happiness envy. Mm -hmm. No, no. So 
So it's possible they. You mean less happy? Like seeing other people being happy makes Makes you envious and makes you less happy. Okay. There is research to support that idea too. So from Facebook's perspective, before doing this research, they could they honestly could have thought you know it could go either way. Reducing the negative posts might make people happy. Make like. Is, is it schadenfreude? Does reducing the negative posts make people actually sadder because now they can't see all the people doing worse than them? No, so part of this is it, it's a company that has its privy to information, again, as an unparalleled level. Yeah. And already we know that certain factors influence us. I mean, yeah. again, the happiness and, and sadness of people around us, color, word priming, etc., so knowing these things, we're already in this very preca- precarious situation where we should strive to mitigate the effects. At least, uh, presumably, we should. We should be responsible. Mitigate which effects? And anything. We try to. We have to maximize the neutrality of everything. Otherwise, well, then you get skew. Twitter. Because Facebook doesn't show you every single post that yes. is posted by the people that you're friends with. Right. And since they have an algorithm for deciding what to show you, that's an algorithm they have to improve, which mm-hmm. means they have to change it. Every improvement is a change. So Facebook drives its engagement based on provide, giving you things that you want, whereas Twitter, drive, Twitter is based on the things that you follow and you hope that people... It's Twitter, it's, you curate your own content. Exactly. And Facebook makes, well, um, Facebook makes, it, it's, makes it their responsibility and, well, and their mission to get you to spend more time on the site. That's the most interesting thing about this. Both reducing positive posts and reducing negative posts cause users to spend less time on the site. Wait, no, that's not right. Post less. Mm-hmm. Was it less time or post less? In either case, people used Facebook less. I can't remember which metric they used, but people used Facebook less when their feed was less happy and when their feed was less sad. So if you dull down their feed, either way, try to make them happier or try to make them sadder, either way, they spend less time on Facebook than when they have the full range of emotions in there. So you mean that when you take things away from their natural spectrum, however skewed it is in the natural world of Facebook? But even if you skew the feed to be more positive, people spend less time on Facebook. So like the real takeaway is Facebook should remove all the neutral posts from your feed, I think. I mean, I think that's got to be Facebook's takeaway. Wait, no, but that's that's a very... That, I think that logic is flawed. Just because you take one thing away, the other thing away, and the third thing makes things even more. Well, removing positive posts from your feed... Mm-hmm. So that's a regular feed with just a few positive posts filtered out. No, you need all. I'm, I'm making the argument that you need all three because well, that's the regular spectrum of emotions. And again, it's still skewed for Facebook because you have more positive than you have negative. So you have the this is part. like the evolution of music. Mm-hmm. More and more bass, more and more treble, less and less of <laughs> <in> the middle. <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly evolution. It's more like the progression. De- <laughs> the decomposition of music. Digression. <laughs> Regression. Whatever you want to call it. The change over time. The delta. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't know. I think Facebook is being painted in a worse light than they deserve to be. But mostly because people should have expected this from them in the first place. Again, I think this goes a little further than it usually does. Because it's... Well, you know, social science research is fascinating. And again, Facebook has that data set. Mm-hmm. It's what they found by manipulating rather than observing what, what exists and then trying to figure out patterns within it. I think, I think that had they taken the data and not, and not had variables that they inputted in real time to move forward as opposed to analyzing things that already happened. So showing you things, because they always remove data, they always remove posts. The only thing this experiment changed was which posts they removed. Like, this is just a small tweak to the algorithm that decides which post do we take out of your feed. True. And so, like, this had to be, a, uh, what's the word, approved by, what is it, I, approval board, something, some kind of research approval. Oh, um, um it's not RTB, it's, I should know it, this. I think it's IAB, B-B- but what, I can't remember what the I stands for. International? No, I don't think so. Anyway. It was basically an education institution's approval board for this type of research. IRB. Something review board. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what the acronym is. Institution review board, probably. Okay. Um, I should know this from my, from my experiments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, 
and it went to a board and it got approved. And this is one of the things being mentioned, but the overlooked detail is that what was submitted to be approved by the board was we've already collected this data. Now please give us approval to write a paper about it. <laughs> so in other words, the board approved it because analyzing the data doesn't hurt anybody. The data's already been collected. Like whatever damage could be done would have been done. Like you can't protect the people from having the data collected because mm -hmm. that already happened. That's true. But it was it was collected for the sake of the study. I suspect it was collected by Facebook's internal team that just wanted to get people to stay on the site longer. Where they put they were, these are the variables they play around with. They would have so that is, that was not posted. That's just my speculation. The unethical part is that this turned into research study and it was published as opposed to that this was what they, what they did anyway. So we know that they tinker around with it anyway. Well, the ethics part I think is about that they do it anyway, not about the research paper. Isn't isn't the thing that everyone's opposed to is Facebook toying with their emotions? I don't think that anyone cares that pa Facebook got a research paper out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so that's true, but they wouldn't have realized what was going on unless there was a research paper about it. So that's where Facebook shot themselves in the foot. No, Maybe. I think Facebook realized it. They did the research for the purpose of finding out this information. Then they gave the researcher who found it out approval to write a research paper about it. Which is what pissed people off because then, has, then people started thinking that... Um, the paper is just how we all found out that this happened. This is, I mean, I'm pretty sure they did the research for the purpose of finding out what happened in the paper. The paper is just all the scientific rigor required to get it published in a journal, which took two years, by the way. This research was two years ago. That's the other funny thing about this. Everyone's outraged as if this happened, like, just recently to them. And actually, it happened two years ago. Like, whoever this happened to, they've been living with the consequences for two years already. <laughs> you know, I wonder if we're going to have that freak, freak in scenario where somebody says... I suffered from depression two years ago. I chalk up to Facebook the same way that McDonald's made me fat. Yeah, maybe. On the other hand, I'm not convinced that this is actual evidence that the, there was an emotional component. Like, what they measured is what words people type into their Facebook messages. Which is a really bad way of measuring something. So I don't think... The me right, so the, the cause that they're speculating is the words that you read on the screen, and the effect that they're measuring is the words that you type into their text box. I don't know that that's a good measure of your actual emotional state. Although if somebody's particularly very happy, they're going to end up using Facebook less because they don't need to cope with life. And someone's very <laughs> sad, they're also going to be posting this because they know that if they post sad things, they will be... Interestingly, though, taking out the happy messages or taking out the sad messages made people use Facebook less. No, that's what I mean. Like, if you're happy, then you're not going to use Facebook. If you're sad... No, opposite. When they show you all the positive messages, you use Facebook more. When they remove the positive messages, you use Facebook less. And same thing for the negative messages. Showing you the full range of negative emotion messages or whatever made people stay on Facebook longer than removing those messages. So we just like to compare... So we use Facebook as a comparison tool. I guess. I, don't, I think... Those are the most interesting messages. That's the reason why people use Facebook less. When all the when your feed has less highs, like lower highs or less low lows, it's more boring and you get tired of reading it sooner. We all want controversy. Because I ate a hamburger today is not interesting. I don't know. That's a tweet. That's all that's left. <laughs> I don't know. It's what makes you read Facebook is finding those gems of people who are saying stronger, more strongly worded statements. Those are the interesting statements. The right, most. because we've grown up you believing that real life, via TV, via any kind of entertainment, has to be extreme. If it's plain, that's real life and that's boring. We want it to be constantly stimulated by something bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't, and there's no TV show that shows real life. There's TV shows that show an exaggerated episode in real life. That's a fair point, but I don't know that Facebook has that particular problem. My experience well, with Facebook is that it's way too much real life. I'm not even interested in what's posted on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's you don't, you don't care about the gossip people around you. You also don't care about celebrity gossip. That's true. It's these extreme things that we pick up. We would pick up the same thing with... But people post news on Facebook, and I don't... And I appreciate that sometimes. But I prefer Twitter, because on Twitter there's a much higher news I care about to other crap ratio. 
Although I think a lot of people have the opposite experience of me, and the main reason is because they follow celebrities instead of people they know. Like, everyone I know that thinks Twitter is stupid, I look at who they follow and it's like, well, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about Facebook lately is that I, I liked, well, not lately, I mean, maybe the past two years, I intentionally like pages that I want to hear from. I don't care about the people post. I so you're using updates. Facebook the way normal people use Twitter? Yeah. Well, normal Twitter users use Twitter. I prefer, I wish Twitter's shares had more information. I wish when somebody posted a link, I could see the image. Oh, okay. they, you should check out Twitter again. Oh, they, they finally fixed it good. They, they started a lot, a lot of the major news outlets and image sharing sites and everything. They have, like, inline content now. Good, because that was silly otherwise. I don't want to just see link, link, link. <laughs> There's a huge... I can't believe that for so many years. I remember using Twitter for the first time 2011. And it was, it was different back then. There were far more links. And back then, you know, there were a lot more links. It was just... It was a risk to click each one because I didn't know what was happening. I don't want Also because they were all shortened, so you didn't even know what it was a link to. At yes. least that's another thing they fixed. Now the default link shortener is t.co, which is Twitter's link shortener. And if you use any of the official Twitter stuff, you get the actual URL when you view the feed. You only get the t.co when you get it through a text message. At last. <laughs> All the Twitter clients used to have that short link unwrapping stuff. You know the real reason why they use t.co for everything? So they can track it? Yeah, they bounce you through a proxy, and then they track a hit on, yeah. on that. <laughs> I assume it's just their internal bit.ly. Proxy is the wrong word. It's uh, whatever. They, they redirect you through their server, and mm -hmm. they, they, make a me they put down a little note that you visited that URL. Well, not that you visited it, that someone visited mm -hmm. it. Like, and so, for instance, I have like, kind of a lot of Twitter followers, and I can go to analytics.twitter.com and see which links I've posted that people click on and stuff. And I can see the demographics of the people who are following me and all kinds of interesting things, which... Or the demographics that they've claimed to be. I, for instance, sometimes say that I am a 53-year-old black woman with a college education. Okay. When I re respond for free screenings. Just because I know that I will get into the screening that way. They try to break it up by demographic. I know that I'm probably a rare fit. Basically, hmm. I choose like the most... If you ever want to get out of one of those studies, say you're in market research. No, no, no. This is... This you're, you're telling me a strategy how you get into studies, yes. and I'm telling you a strategy that always works to get out of them. So if, if you're in a situation like Vegas, and they're like, hey, come take our study, and we'll let you have a free blah, blah, blah. You'd be like, okay. You walk in and be like, so, are you involved in any market research or anyone you're related to? You'd be like, actually, yes. Done. <laughs> get your free thing. That's all. the only question you have to answer. Now, Vegas. I have not gone to Vegas. Neither have I. <laughs> we should go to Vegas and get out of all the market research. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually do work in market research, and that's why I know this, and that's why it also works. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want people who are in market research taking your market research studies. People will do things like you just said. <laughs> They'll try and game the system to try and get to the end. I always wonder how many people are being sincere when they, when they fill out surveys. Ah, so that's another thing that was in the Atlantic arc. It might not have been in the, the Atlantic. It could have been the Wired article on this Facebook thing. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating. So these researchers, so basically they were making the point that psychology and sociology researchers have been lying to the participants in their studies for a long, long time. And are we ever going to change? But they've discovered a really interesting thing. So for the sake of knowing stuff, I'm kind of happy that they lied to them. <laughs> Ethically, not great, but... <laughs> whoops. So here's science. It wasn't a whoops. It was, it was intentional. So here's what they did. They had people fill out a survey. Then they seeded the answers to a person interviewing the person. They hooked them up to a fake lie detector. And they told them, okay, we're going to hook you up. We have a really advanced lie detector. And we have an interviewer who's going to ask you questions. So they, the person had already answered all these questions. And so they asked them some dummy questions to, quote, calibrate the lie detector. And then they tell them to lie randomly during this calibration section. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then whenever they lie randomly... The interviewer has the answers from their survey, so they know all the answers to the questions, and when they lie, they call them out. <laughs> and then, so then people who go through this fake lie detector thing versus the control group where they just ask them questions without fake lie detector equipment, they, um, they answered like double the rate of admitting to cocaine usage and opiate usage and all, and all this other crap. <laughs> I'm always flabbergasted and flummoxed. I'm not using those words. When I when I see market research studies, I think, but 
there is no way I'm going to answer this sincerely. And the way you're phrasing these, the way you're phrasing these questions, they're somewhat leading. They're narrow-minded. They're focused on a certain element, and there are other things I want to say to it. I don't want to say yes or no. I want to explain why I want to, why I do something. I don't like surveys in general. Right. But when you get a difference of like ten, people... 10 percentage points to have you ever used cocaine, that's pretty pretty wow. <laughs> no one tells the truth. No one can. No one can tell the, truth, the whole truth in it. Yeah. Well, that means that without the fake lie detector, half of people would lie. <laughs> half of the people who have done cocaine would lie. We're in such a rush to use something that we, we can measure yep. that we'll use it anyway, even though it, it's wrong. Yep. Although, that's why I think that Facebook did this research for their own purposes and then allowed the researcher to publish a journal article. Because the data about whether people spend time on site, longer or shorter, that's pretty conclusive, right? Like... The, the data about what does Facebook do using this data to make people spend longer on Facebook is pretty direct and pretty actionable. Mm-hmm. The journal article eh, may, or may or may not hold water, but which one made people spend more time on Facebook? That's pretty cut and dry. And that's why I think they did this research for internal purposes and then said, okay, fine, you're a researcher. You can publish an article. Which could be their downfall, given that people you know, are claiming that they've broken the law with the study. Nah. I don't see any any serious people saying that they broke the law. I have see I see plenty of people saying it was unethical, but le- like legally, I don't think there's a problem. Right, but here you have a service that's unethical. We continue doing unethical things, and we and we're happy using it. Well, I mean, we're actually we're all upset about using it, but it's become this everyone thing. except me who doesn't use it. Funny how that works. You could just not use it. You and all the third world countries. Hey, maybe they're onto something. <laughs> it's not that hard to not, not use Facebook. Not, not using Facebook is not that difficult. Well, you don't realize how addictive it is when again people who use it. People who aren't bored by it. <laughs> and people who are bored by it who still use it because it's a it's a way to drown out thoughts. Nobody wants to sit there and be bored and think because thinking takes a long time. You you go to traffic you go to a, a traffic corner. And you whip out your phone because you want to think you want to be bored for a moment. You look at your phone in the elevator. You don't. Need, you can't have any downtime. I wonder how many times a day people check their phone. It's absurd. I'm sure there probably is a statistic on that. What do you think about using your phone on the subway? To talk on the phone? No, you can't talk on the phone. On the Sometimes you can talk on the phone. I've been on rides where you can talk when people right. talk on the phone. No, I'm talking about all the subways. <laughs> Just pulling out your phone on the subway. I wish people wouldn't. Why? Because people feel better when they talk to one another. We're, we're alienating ourselves. You think that if everyone left their phone in their pocket, they would talk to each other? I don't think so. I think you're more likely to. You're going to make more eye contact with somebody. You might smile at somebody. There's a great article in the New York Times about strangers. We'll link it in the show notes. About people feel better, even when they're making some kind of small talk with somebody, a stranger. They smile at somebody, and maybe not about how your day is, but they might make a comment to somebody in the elevator on the subway. Connect with somebody who you think usually everyone's just a stranger. Now, you can make a some you can make a friendlier face of that stranger, and you connect with them somehow. I am not convinced that that's what would happen in the subway without phones. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what was happening in the subway before phones. That's true, but we're now more connected in different ways, so we feel more inclined. So, like Airbnb can happen now, Lyft can happen now. I feel like I'm more connected to people who I care about by listening to podcasts in the subway or reading books in the subway. The chances that I'm going to talk to a random stranger on the subway and suddenly feel more connected to the world versus listening to the things that someone I care about actually has to say, like, I have a feeling that I'm more connected to the people I care about by reading books and listening to podcasts, which is obviously what I do on the subway. I was, I was, back when I took the subway regularly, I was a very big reader in the subway. I wasn't sleeping, I was reading, and I really appreciate it. I actually hate listening to music or any kind of headphone stuff in the subway because I have to crank it up so loudly that I hurt my ears. I have that problem on the platform. I don't have that problem in the subway car. Oh, so I don't want to be that douchebag who has his headphones blaring so loudly that somebody else can hear them. And I, I realize that actually that's illegal, or at least it's asked for people, for people that people don't do that. It's one of those laws that no one is going to enforce. I mean, it's probably a misdemeanor, like you get a ticket or something. The thing is, they're announced on the subway where people who are blasting it probably can't hear it being said. I have... So... What's the deal with the subway microphone and speaker system? I can't understand anything with or without headphones on. 
Like half the time. I don't want to say every time. Sometimes you can, but things it's... have gone. Things have really gone downhill from there. So back in the day, maybe this could be, maybe this could be ten years ago. There was a big study done about it was a not study. It was a rider report card for the subways. Uh-huh. Back then, it was you couldn't hear anything. You couldn't make out a word that the conductors were saying. Okay. Then the rider report card came out. That was one of the biggest thing that was biggest things that that was bothering commuters, not customers, even though the MTA likes to refer to those customers regularly. I sometimes see that, and it's very, you are a bad, bad organization. Bad. Why customers? Because that makes us feel like it's a private industry as opposed to a public-private partnership. I'm a commuter, not a customer. You pay them. Right. We should not be referring, given that it's a private-public thing, it should be a commuter, not a customer. We should not be customers. We're not customers of government. We're constituents. Huh. I suppose. It was. A, I thought it was a very alienating title, and that whoever was the copywriter there was kind of a. Uh, you think the MGA has copywriters? They do. They. Ha- I've actually. I'm impressed with a lot of their copy. It's a very hard stop. Con Edison subway ads are atrocious. Their their copy is is pithy and piss poor. I'm. You think pithy and piss poor <laughs> go together? I want to use them together to describe their copy. I mean, they could go together, but I think there's there could be great copy that's pithy. Well, they're just piss, piss poor and piss. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I can't, honestly, I can't remember the Con Ed stuff that I've seen in the subway. I remember that I've seen it, but I don't remember anything about it. It's about their app and how you can learn more about energy saving or tips and things like that. And it's, again, not, it's somebody who does not have a good command of the English language as an art form, as a written art form. Mm-hmm. They'll, they, they'll try to em- emulate it, but they're just, it's a very unpleasant. I find that the worst writers are people who are trying to imitate a style, not not trying to imitate a great writer. They're mm-hmm. just trying to imitate what they think. Like someone who's like, "Oh, I'm going to do a radio show, so I'm going to talk like this." Hey, listen up, customers! Like it's you know whatever. It's like when you're trying to imitate a like an idea instead mm-hmm. of a specific great execution, it never comes out well. And and that's what. Carnison did. It emulated the way the subway ads are. I mean, you can tell you have these short stops, these periods, this attempt at kind of us. It's kind of like someone trying to do an accent of another country. It's like, to them, it's closer than how they normally talk, but it's not really a good approximation. It's a terrible accent. That's what it is. Their, their copy's <laughs> a terrible accent. Yeah, you just sound like a dummy. Yeah, let's, use, let's go with dummy. <laughs> to say so, back to the, the writer report cards. You're going to link the writer report cards? Yeah. Okay. Um, and and I, I eventually, um, the eventually result came out, and again, the issue was with, um, among many other things, that no one could understand the conductor. That was something that was they strived to improve a lot. And then lately, especially maybe in the past three, four months, things have gone really downhill. Past three or four months, like leading up to where we are right now? Yeah. Huh. Uh, in terms of you can't hear a thing they're saying so they're fine for a couple of years and now it's just it's, I guess they forgot about it or people stopped caring and maybe they stopped evaluating maybe they stopped testing them on this I just commented about it to my wife this morning like I, they turn on the thing and it was like eh, like this humming in the background and I'm like they didn't even wire up the sound system in this car right? oh so you're referring to that okay so I'm well, referring like, to it's like okay two problems the mm-hmm. person who was speaking into the microphone was way too far away like you could hear the track noise coming through the speakers which means they're, like, too far away. There's, like, two big problems with the people talking into the Ugh, microphone. There's, there's the people who put their mouth right on it. Yes. And it's so loud. And they, they blast it, and then they, they love the sound of their own voice, and it's just, it's... <laughs> you're a conductor, stay a conductor, not... Can station! <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the people that are really far away, and you hear the noise of the train around them more than you hear them. Pan station! <laughs> Actually, it's more like that's the only thing you hear. Are we going to start beatboxing on our podcast? If only I had a good sound bite to drop in here. What do we need? I don't know. It's too late. I mean, whatever clever sound bite. I remember a couple years ago, this was maybe junior year of college, I was taking a writing class with Richard Price. I'll link him in the show notes. From. Richard, what is it, Draper Price? No, <laughs> no, he wrote Clockers, and he made a movie with Scorsese and Woody Allen. Actually, I remember seeing that poster in his bathroom. Um, 
well, we went to his house for one of our classes. So he was in a movie with Woody Allen. No, no, he. I think he wrote it. He wrote, he wrote it with Woody Allen. Maybe he wrote the book or he wrote the screenplay. Or maybe he wrote both. Or whatever okay. Was. I'm not sure if that... I'll have to look up what the, what the name of that movie is. But I remember seeing that poster in the 9-11 museum when I went. And I, I know that Are you going to link them? Yes. Okay. Uh, if, if I can remember what, what it's called. Um, so we left class early that day. I'm not sure why. And I took the train home. This was back when I lived up way up north. So I used to take the one train almost all the way up to 238th Street. And there was a guy playing uh, the French horn mm-hmm. in Times Square. Very pleasant. And their doors stay open for a little longer than usual. We get to hear him play. And on the way out, the conductor blows the horn in sync, or to at least maybe to compliment the trumpet or horn player. And that was a very that that was a New York moment for me. And huh. I, in general, jazz and blues—that's a New York sound. And there's this. Great... I actually find train horns terrifying. When oh, yeah. I'm next to a train and the horn goes, I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how the rats feel. Eh, they deserve it. Yes, yes, they do. No, no, I'm, maybe we can scare the shit out of them. Scare On the other hand, they're durable creatures. If cockroaches can survive nuclear bombs and chemical explosions, what's raid made of? Raid? Uh, I mean, I don't know that that means raid is especially bad. It just means that raid is something that they happen to be vulnerable to. So if you really want to screw with a country, when next time they drop a bomb on them, drop something that kills the cockroaches too, so then they know they're really screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the news reports? Hiroshima, Nagasaki bombed, raid dropped afterward. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible thing to laugh at. I mean, it's just like it's like a whole new level of bizarre. Like we flew extra airplanes over to drop raid. <laughs> For the record, we didn't fly planes over to drop raid. Just in case anyone doesn't know. There were supposed to be two, I think, when we went to, we, were, we weren't supposed to go to Nagasaki. No, that, the second bombing was only if they didn't surrender. No, 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 just to go to a different city entirely. Oh, that. But there was a, I remember reading this a case study on it. They really wanted them to surrender after the, the U.S. military really wanted them to surrender after the first bomb. They didn't want to drop the second one. Right, that was very destructive. Well, they didn't really want to drop either one, but... It's scary to think that every single bomb that exists now that's a nuclear warhead is several times stronger than than all... Than and by several, you mean two orders of magnitude or more. Yeah. So, like, I think the first, the Fat Boy, was like a... It was like single digits mm-hmm. of, uh, like, tons, whatever. Like, it's like a one megaton bomb mm-hmm. or something, or a four megaton bomb, and now they're like a 100 megaton bomb. There was the Tsar bomb, and I'll link that in the show notes, which is a Russian nuclear. It was the biggest one ever made. It was hence the Tsar. It's something to read about on Wikipedia. It's a scary thought about what we could do and how we can destroy it. Do you know the story about the... Uh... God, I'm going to butcher this. It's a guy who was in the Russian military who received yes, the signal... The sub- not the subway, the submarine guy. who he, didn't want- he was the only one who said no to sending it out. To, to launch in the codes, there's some... I think he was actually on a base, not in a submarine. But, I mean, basically, he got the signal that said that the U.S. had launched missiles. And they were supposed to immediately and automatically retaliate. But since it's Soviet-era Russia, the way that they automatically immediately retaliate is a guy gets a signal on his screen and then he presses a button. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, it's got to be a bug. There's no way this is happening. And he didn't press the button. And if he did, all the, the nukes in Russia would have launched. Well, not all, but a whole bunch. There, there were several instances that were that. There's a submarine incident. There was. Um... So this happened more than once. That's even more terrifying. Yeah, it happened more than once. We were in the brink of. But this was a glitch in their reporting system. Yeah. Their their system that detects U.S. nukes incoming told him that they that it was happening and it wasn't actually. No, the one the submarine I think that happened, what happened there was. The radio went silent for some reason, so they assumed that Moscow was bombed. I think that's the story. Nah. That's a weird assumption. Did you ever see the movie Failsafe? That fails Occam's Razor pretty bad. 
We haven't heard anything from Moscow in a while. They must have been blown off the face of the earth. No, but they weren't responding either to anything. So it was a glitch with the radio. No, I know, but I mean, glitch with the radio, Occam's Razor, the simplest explanation is probably the right one. Glitch with the radio is far more likely than the United States spontaneously decided to wipe Moscow off the face of the earth. Not so spontaneously. It's kind of it's kind of in the uh, on the agenda. Still, I think radio malfunction should be your go-to explanation, even in the height of the Cold War. Like, make damn sure it's the ra- it's not the radio before you fire those missiles. Luckily, the people on the submarine were equally uh, on the same page with me. Just one of them was. There, oh. I, think, I think there were three people who had to make the decision. One of them refused to say. They had to get all go-ahead from all three of them, and one of them refused to say, all right, let's do this. He was alone. He was the sole objector. Thank God. No, sorry. Thank whatever. Judge thank, Scalia. Thank Scalia. Russia. Dissenter, lone dissenter. Oh, yeah. Want to talk about that? Mm-hmm. You think we should? I don't think... Yeah. I don't think we should. First of all, I think everyone can predict how we feel about it anyway. Groupons for Planned Parenthood? Ha! <laughs> Bogo? It's not a bad idea. Do you get your first abortion free at Planned Parenthood? I didn't know they charged for any of them. I think the thing that going rates 400 bucks. Hmm. I'm not going to reveal why I know that. The folly of teenage years. Not that I had any. Or help someone get in. You're revealing so much more by saying anything after just revealing <laughs> the number. <laughs> I know it doesn't involve any abortions. Okay. Um, just scares. So I have some follow-up from last week. Mm-hmm. And we're going... getting near the end, so I just want to knock it out before before we run out of time. So, two things. I put this in the show notes last... last no, two times ago, about canola oil, where... You mentioned that canola means Canadian and then oil, low acidity. Turns out, it specifically does not mean that, (laughs) although it's widely reported as meaning that. And can just means Canada, and ola means oil, and that's all. And the only reason I wanted to do follow-up on this is because the next part is pretty interesting. It's only called canola oil because they didn't want to call it rapeseed oil, because they didn't want to have a food product with rape in the name. Otherwise, it's pretty much just vegetable oil that comes from a particular plant. Do you think that's a bad thing to follow up the moment after we finish talking about Planned Parenthood? Um, I suppose. I didn't really think of it. I just was like, I know, oh, you're near the, the end, let's usually, do the follow-up. <laughs> usually we have follow-up in the beginning, then we... I know, but you up. launched right into the discussion of Facebook, so I was like, eh, whatever. You can reshuffle this. No, let's be honest. It takes long enough to edit the shows without reshuffling. Although... All the shows where I've edited in music, the extra time investment was totally worth it. <laughs> um, especially the Backstreet Boys. Uh, and the other follow-up was when we were talking after the show, uh, I think it was last week, about the difference between a mentor and a tutor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. Like, I hadn't really considered, at least in detail, what the difference really is. And I think the only difference is the number of times that you stick with them. Like a tutor is a person you pay and a tutor is maybe sometimes a mentor if they turn out to be a good tutor and you keep going back. Mm -hmm. So you just don't pay a mentor. Well, I don't think payment is part of whether someone is a mentor or not. A mentor is a person who gives you advice over time like that's really like meaningful to you and that you form a relationship with. Mm -hmm. That person could be a tutor. I think a tutor could be your mentor. Like, I don't know. Have you ever taken music lessons, like as a kid? No. No. Well, have you ever taken any kind of lessons as a kid? Only back in Russia, unfortunately. Actually, no. It was never private one-on-one instruction. Well, point is, have you ever thought of an instructor as kind of a mentor? Um, only if I've developed a rapport with them. But yeah, exactly. Sometimes you do. So you you can be a like you can have an instructor that you pay that still is kind of a mentor to you. I don't think payment is part of the a equation. A mentor is a tutor, but a tutor's not a mentor. A tutor is someone that you pay to educate you. A mentor is someone who sort of gives you that guidance on a longer term and who you form a relationship with. And it's kind of unrelated to payment. You could pay them or you might not. Like your uncle could be your mentor, gratis, by virtue of relation. And like, I don't know, your college professor could be your mentor. I always like referring, I always prefer to pronounce that word gratis. Okay. There's no reason for it. Just it's not. I just. You know how I feel about pronunciation. <laughs> Do your thing. <laughs> Particular. Although I I find I can't remember who it was, but someone said cachet instead of cash, just recently, and I was like, whoa. Who? Did you just sash down that runway? What? 
Did you just sash down that? Did you respond to them by did you just sash down that runway? No, and I also don't know what. If someone says cachet instead of cash, you have to say sash instead of sachet. Sachet. If you, if <laughs> I don't know what you are talking about. <laughs> if someone says cachet instead of cash, yeah, I got that. Part. You have to say sash instead of sachet. So did you? I don't know that word sachet. To sachet, it's stick to to saunter seductively, kind of. It's when somebody walks down and he I've never heard, heard that word until this oh. moment. That's, I thought you were saying stash, like mustache, and I was like, oh. so since they said cache, you have to say stash? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. What, is, what does a mispronunciation have to do with a mustache? Speaking of words that people don't recognize, there's a fascinating article, and I'm linking in the show notes, about which words are kind of uniquely feminine and uniquely male. And? And you have very feminine words that are, they just, they just come up more in female everything. Like what? I think rhinestone is one of them. Rhinestone? And then with men, you have more technical sounding terms. Gender bias. <laughs> and what, what's given. So for instance, my, um, technically my niece, my, no, technically not my niece, but I call her my niece. She's my, she's my cousin's daughter. So like second cousin or something. Whatever. So she, what? Um, you know, boys get blue, girls get pink. So maybe yeah, I'm totally not doing that. Yeah, for her. <laughs> Although, in, intriguing story, when we look in the show notes, um, back in the day, pink was the color for men and blue was the color for girls. Because people believed blue to be more fair and, and gentle. Therefore, blue should be for women. And roughly around the time of World War II, and some attribute this to the, what the Nazis did in terms of labeling homosexuals as pink with, with, their, with their badges, uh, there's, there's a shift. Pink became the female and blue became the male. You know, it definitely happened during that time, and some alleges because of that, although I haven't been able to find any research to support that. It just right. happened at huh. that time. And pink is, an offshoot, that. pink is an offshoot of red. Right. Um, so he, my, so my brother got our, our niece a, I think he may have gotten her Goldie Blocks, which we'll link in the show notes, and they have a great... Awesome. Yes, because there's no reason somebody should follow various stereotypes, and we thought, you know, there's a good, let's give her a wider range of views. My cousin doesn't get offended when he listens to the show, if he ever has the time to listen to it. Which is unlikely. You gotta work on that. He works at a bank. And what? Doesn't care about business? He's one of those busy characters. Okay, so he gave her goalie blocks. No, that's all. We gave, we, have, we don't know if she's playing. And, then, and he gave uh, our nephew a Lego set. Lego Technic set. And just things that to make them play as opposed to just consume mindlessly and whatever else kids are given nowadays. Like Adderall. <laughs> ketchup. And liquor. All things you should give your children. Adderall, ketchup, and liquor. <laughs> this is the Biz vs. Dev podcast. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Biz vs. Dev. See you next week.